Well, good to see you all. Thanks for being here tonight. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. And uh, as I begin tonight, one of the things that I've learned uh, in growing a little bit older is this, that so many of our frustrations, so many of our fears, so many of our our questions come because um, as human beings, I think that many times we look at life through the lens of our human viewpoint rather than a divine viewpoint. And a lot of times, I know in my own life, that comes really from how I see the world and how many times I want to just take it into my own control. And there's the human viewpoint and the divine viewpoint. And I believe that when we look at life through the human viewpoint, our life is shaped by really two simple words. Whether we say them out loud or or whether they're just implied in our life, there are two words that kind of shape a lot of things. And those two words are this, if only. If only. I could sit down and have a a conversation with any of you tonight. Um, We could talk about life. We could talk about family. We could talk about religion. We could talk about politics, culture, whatever it is. And at some point in the conversation, I'm going to guess that those two words would have shaped the conversation in some way. Because for many of you, it has shaped the trajectory of your life in a profound way, and you might not even know it. Just think about it. Um, If only I would have gotten that job. If only she would have said yes. If only he would have listened. If only the doctors would have caught it sooner. If only I would have known. I could have done something about it. If only I had paid just a little bit more attention. If only there was a cure for cancer. If only God would have intervened. And you could go on and on. But if you think about it, if only shapes you. And those two words lead many of us in our lives to the tomb of sorrow and defeat instead of victory. But there is a way to life and victory tonight, and in the midst of our sorrows and amidst the things that go on, I believe that we have to decide what the final word is in our life. And it'll affect our life here, but it'll also affect our life for eternity. And so as we look at life, I pray through a divine viewpoint. Here's the question I really want to ask you tonight as you look at your life. Will life have the final word even when you face death? Will life have the final word even when you face death? My friend and former president at Azusa Pacific University, Dr. Richard Felix, he wrote a book um, about the death of his wife, Vivian. And she struggled with cancer for many years. And the book is called this, The School of Dying Graces. And in that book, Vivian wrote these words at the very beginning. She said, give me a new name, Lord. I want to be a bringer of hope. I love that. Give me a new name, Lord, a bringer of hope. Let me through my experiences bring new and living hope to those who have no hope. Lord God, I pray two years ago when this all started, change me. And you have. Now let me help others to live the abundant life in you. See, Vivian wrote these words in the midst of her greatest suffering. And she encountered God in a new and profound way. And God changed her. And she then wanted others to see Jesus in and through her. She experienced life under the weight of her cancer, and she became a bringer of hope in the days when things seemed most hopeless. So 
So today we come to John chapter 11, and our story is about death. Uh, There's really no other way around it. It's about death. But I promise you, there is a great ending to this story. But it starts out with death. And we're going to see in a few minutes, though, that this can be one of the most life-giving, life-changing stories for you. We don't like to talk about this subject much, and I understand that. Woody Allen said this one time about death. He said, I don't think much often about it. I'm not really scared of it. I just don't want to be around when it happens. (laughs) And all of us probably could relate. And most of us know in our culture today, uh, we do everything we can to avoid death. And in this season, so much so that many have stopped living because they've been so afraid of dying. (laughs) Death is no respecter of persons. It seats the young, the middle-aged, the old, Death does not care about your color, your race, your country, your religion, your status. When death invades, we all submit. And in John chapter 11, we get to just go through the story of Lazarus. And what an amazing story. It starts in verse 1 and it says this, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany. That was the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that the Son may be glorified through it. So Bethany was just a couple miles away from Jerusalem. It was on the eastern slopes of the Mount of Olives. And this story is about Lazarus. And it's one of the most powerful and moving stories in the Bible. But it's not just about Lazarus. You see, Everything is pointing powerfully to the powerful story of Jesus Christ. Death was impending, it said in verse 3, and it was imposing its will on Lazarus. And his sisters went to Jesus and they just said, hey, the one you love, the one you love, he's dying. He's sick. And with that message they sent, it was not one that was demanding that he come their way. They just said he was a sick, and I believe they just assumed that he would come their way. Because Lazarus was a good friend. That he would drop everything and make his way towards Lazarus. But he didn't. In fact, he didn't even send words of condolences back to them in this moment. And on top of that, look at what it says in verse 6. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Think about that. The text tells us that Jesus loves this guy Lazarus. He loves all three of them. What do you do when someone's sick that you love? You usually make your way toward them, right? But Jesus said, hey, I got a couple extra days here. Let's just go back to Judea and hang out. Now, I don't know about you. This is Jesus. So there's a greater story that's being told and going on. But in that moment, can you imagine what his followers were thinking? I would be like, and this guy calls Lazarus his really good friend. And he loves this guy. And look, he just said, He just got messaged that he was sick, and now he said, we're just going to hang out here a couple days. In fact, let's just go over to Judea. And I'm sure, because I'd be thinking, you got to be kidding me. What's going on here? What would he do if I was sick? Yeah, look at verse 4 again. Because Jesus says this, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. So a few things I want you to see here tonight. The first one is this. God's glory is the ultimate priority. God's glory is the ultimate priority. You heard it in Monica's story just on the screens. When she took their little foster child away 
And then the person on the plane said, God's glory is going to be seen in and through this. And she's like, there's no way. And the next day, they got a call to come and pick up that little girl. God's glory is the ultimate priority. You see, Jesus knew this is the event that was going to put things in motion for him to go to the cross to change the world forever, to change your life and my life. And when Jesus said that the sickness will not end in death, what he was saying was death will not have the final word. And when he was around him, including Mary and Martha, things probably felt like they were spinning out of control for them. Yet Jesus knew that things weren't getting out of control. Everything was going according to his father's plan. So Jesus stays two days where he was, didn't rush to the bedside of his friend because he knew that in his death, there was going to be a greater story that was going to be told. The second thing I want you to see is this. Trust is built as you wait. It's built as you wait. Skip down to verse 17. Jesus has made his way to Lazarus after a couple days and it says on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if only you had been there, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. So Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus comes and he meets her and he confronts her. And he said, if only you would have been here, Jesus. And Jesus says, you need to understand something. There is trust that is built as you wait. But there's a second trust that's built. There's trust built through the wait. There's trust that is built through the weight that you carry because it's in that moment that we see that Jesus Christ comes along and he is the lifter of your weight. Sometimes we must remember that the testing of our faith, it's not a denial of his love, but it is seeing his love in a new and deeper way. And if ever we want to step into a deep relationship with God, we meet him sometimes in the greatest valleys of our life. See, I know this. We are tempted to despise the waiting because we have been conditioned to expect the immediate in everything. And so we do the same thing when it comes to God. When it comes to our suffering and he doesn't work the way that we think he should work, sometimes his answer is yes. A lot of times his answer is no. And many times his answer is wait. And guess what? I don't like waiting. Does any of you? I don't like to wait. I, I've been putting off a phone call for weeks now. You know why? Because I don't want to go through the waiting that I'm going to have to suffer through when I get on the phone. Because I've needed to talk to DirecTV for about two weeks. Let's just say two months for my cable bill. But I despise the waiting, so I have avoided it like the plague. There is nothing direct about DirecTV when you call them and try to find out about your bill. And so I don't want to wait, so I just keep putting it off. But let's be honest, waiting to hear from God many times doesn't build our trust, does it? It erodes it. For some of us, it's eaten away at it. And it frustrates us because not only do we, we want an answer, we want it now. And we want it to be the answer that we want. And the prophet Isaiah tells us what can happen when the glory of God is our actual priority and we decide, God, it is your will, not my will, that needs to be done. 
I'm going to entrust my life to you. That's what it means to follow Jesus. I'm entrusting you with everything. And the prophet just said this, but they who wait for the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Psalm 130 verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word I have put my hope. I found out that trust is built in the wait. But a lot of times, I promise you, trust is built as you carry the weight. See, the beautiful thing about the church was it just wasn't meant to be carried alone. I sat at a a, a man's house yesterday and went to pray with him and his wife. And they usually attend Saturday night and they sit back there and he's an usher. And Dave Tarquin's been at this church for a lot of years. And as I just sat with him and, and prayed over him and he's got pancreatic cancer. And uh, as I sat there and I just talked to them, the one thing that Dave said to me multiple times was it was you people back there in, in his small group that the guys had come and prayed for him and he knew that they were praying for him. And it was those people in this church that had come around it and loved them. And it was this community that he just said, just kind of surrounds him in his men's group. And he just said, I just know I'm not alone. And I just want to tell you, part of the weight that we carry when we go through sorrows and pains and part of the grace we receive from God is when we get to be with brothers and sisters in Christ and we don't walk alone. 2 Corinthians 4 says this, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us. Listen to this an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. One translation says it's, it's earning us an eternal weight. The weight of this world, when it weighs us down, it's, it's earning you an eternal weight that will surpass anything you could ever imagine. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. God's glory is the ultimate priority and it's in the waiting and in carrying the weight that God can begin to build your ultimate trust in him. And others see him in ways you could never imagine. You see, death leads us to cry out, God, if only, if only you would have intervened, if only you would have showed up, if only you would have did this. But we see that in Jesus, everything is about life. It's only then that we can cry out, God, what now? How is your glory going to be seen in the midst of this circumstance? How in the midst of this weight are you going to show yourself and make yourself real, not only to me, but those around me? How can I be a bringer of hope in the midst of what looks hopeless? Because you see, in Jesus Christ, according to the scriptures, life has the final word. But like us, Martha and Mary could only see what was right in front of them. And what they saw was that their brother was dead and Jesus, the only one who could do anything about it, was too late to do anything about it. So Jesus finally begins to gather and to be a part and he's almost to Bethany and they came out and in verse 32 it said, when Mary, after Martha had reached him, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and she said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. If only you'd been here, Jesus. And in that moment, Jesus met her right where she was. And I've come to experience that he just does the same for you and for me. 
See, Jesus met her and all the others right in the midst of their grief. And he experienced their grief as well. Verse 35, two great words. Jesus wept. He stepped into their pain. He experienced what they were going through because he understood that in this moment, I don't think it was just about Lazarus, but I think he was looking at all the sin of humanity and the weight that we're all going to carry. And I think there was just a burden because not only did he know he was going to the cross to relieve it, but he knew and understood that in this world, we have sorrows and we have troubles and there was this weight on him. And it talks about in the text, and if you translate the Greek words, that there was just this weight, not a wailing in pain and not a weeping, but a weight of pain that caused Jesus just to weep in that moment. And I honestly think he wasn't just weeping for Lazarus, but for you and for me. And today, if you've ever felt alone, I just want to remind you that your Savior knows and has experienced what you've experienced, and He is with you. Jay and I on Thursday, Hewitt, our pastor on our online ministry, we recorded this sermon, and um, there was just a couple things that spoke to Jay, and so he came up and he just shared a few words, and I thought it'd be great for you to hear him because there was a story in his life where God met him in the midst of his weeping and in the midst of his waiting. So take a look at the screens. I'm, I'm listening to you talk about life and death and all yeah. this really heavy stuff. And you made this great point about how trust is built through the waiting. Yeah. And as I was thinking about that, I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, I've seen that in my life. So yeah. you mind if I take some time to tell a story? Go right ahead. <laughs> all, right. all right, so I'm in my 20s. And out of nowhere, my dad passes away. He had a heart attack and it just, it rocked my world. And this is probably, as I look back on my spiritual life, this is, this is the heaviest weight that I've carried. And I also had to do some waiting because I, I immediately went to prayer and God, what's going on? Why would you do this? Why would you take my dad? My family uh, structure, very unstable. My mom dealing with um, depression, substance abuse. And my dad was like the rock of the family. And so it made no sense to me that God would take my dad. And so I prayed and I prayed and I got nothing. I felt like God was just completely, completely distanced from me. And I wasn't used to that. I always felt his presence. I was like, what's going on? Where'd you go? And so finally I, I was like, okay, I've got to fast. I've got to pray. I've got to get out of here. So I went to Joshua Tree and I fasted and I prayed and nothing. Days. I was fasting for days and I heard nothing from him. So I get back in my car and I'm so angry. I'm like... God, where are you? I need you the most now, and there's nothing. And in that time of waiting, my anger built, and it built. And I was driving back home, and all of a sudden, from that passage that you were talking about, the, the shortest verse in the Bible became the most significant verse in my life. Jesus wept. When I, when I thought back to that verse, Jesus wept, everything changed in me. All of a sudden, I realized that the pain that I was feeling, God had felt that pain through Jesus. And not only had he felt it through Jesus, he was with me feeling it for me. He knew what it was like to suffer loss. And then, I think it was the Holy Spirit, brought this inspiration to my mind, this, this enlightenment that not only does God hate death, but he actually did something about it. Jesus came, he wept with us, and then he experienced death himself. 
and in that way, he destroyed death. And I knew that there would be some waiting. I knew that it would take some time uh, for me to see my dad again, uh, for death to be completely destroyed altogether. But just knowing that Jesus was empathetic enough to cry with us, and he was capable enough to do something about death, instead of fueling my anger, all of a sudden, his compassion melted my heart, and I trusted him. So I think there was trust built on both sides, that because I didn't just walk away from faith, because I was willing to wrestle, there was trust built in my own faith, but also trust, trust built with Jesus, knowing that he's there with us and for us. So anyway, man, that, that was just, as I was listening to you, I was like, yes, yes. So thanks for letting me share, bro. So Jesus was moved. And so he moved towards Lazarus. And in verse 40, here's what it said. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Can you imagine what that would have been like? You don't seem very excited. I would have been like, whoa, are you kidding me? Can I just tell you that in Jesus, life always has the final word. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Mary and Martha kept putting obstacles in the way from experiencing God in the midst of their suffering. Because see, they saw everything from their limited human viewpoint. Jesus, if only you would have been here, he would have lived. Jesus, you are too late. He's been dead for four days. You were too slow. You didn't do what we wanted you to do. And in your human viewpoint and in their mind, they were ruled by wrong thinking. Because you see, fear controlled their faith when Jesus came to the tomb that day. If only ruled their minds and it captured their fears. And when you come to your tomb of suffering and eventual death, grief will always be a part of it, and understandably so. But unbelief in the divine... And God's will for your life and his glory. If you don't believe in that and if you continue to look just this way and not this way, you will block an experience from knowing the fullness of God in your life. Because guess what? In this world you will have trouble. In this world you will have suffering. In this world you will have grief. And it is those moments where our Savior Jesus meets you and he forms you and he defines you as you place your trust in him. And when we choose to let death have the final word and not life, that's where we're going to miss some of the greatest moments with God. You see, in that moment, Jesus calmly just spoke over her unbelief and her fear, and he spoke life into her in verse 40. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Think about it. Jesus is fully capable of healing Lazarus without Mary and Martha's faith. And if they would not believe, they were never going to see the glory of God. They would miss the glory of God working in and through God and their lives and the fulfillment of his will. Isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't say, if you believe, I'm going to raise your brother from the dead. No. Because Jesus doesn't always heal. Jesus doesn't always answer our prayers this side of heaven like we think he should. Jesus doesn't always intervene. 
Because he's not in our lives to fulfill our will, but his Father's will in us and through us is his desire. And our ultimate sacrifice is to surrender everything to him. That little girl, Marley, she wasn't healed here on this earth. She was healed in heaven. Many of you, we come to this place and we want so many things to change and our, our sorrow grips us and our grief grips us. But as followers of Jesus, let's remind each other today that we don't live with death as the final word because in Jesus it is life. I love what Jerry Stetzer says about life and death. He says this, and he's a pastor. He says, when I find it hard to believe, I remind myself and gain great perspective that suffering is not unique to us. It is the destiny of humanity. If this world were the only one there is, then suffering has the final say, and all of us are a sorry lot. But generations of faithful Christians have gone before and will come after, and they have believed or will believe what I believe in the depths of my soul. Jesus is at the center of it all. He defeated sin and death through his crucifixion and his resurrection. Then light gradually dawns once again in my heart and hope returns. I find reason and courage to keep going and to continue believing. Once again, my soul increases its capacity for hope as well as for sadness. I end up believing with greater depth and joy than I had before, even in my sorrow. Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. My friend Vivian, whose name became the bringer of hope when she faced death, she said this to her family in her book, and I think it's appropriate for all of us today. She said, my greatest desire is to welcome each of you into heaven, just as I know my earthly father will be waiting for me. Please live so that this will be so. And remember, it is the grace of God and your belief in Jesus Christ that will be the final determiner of your eternal dwelling place. That's why Paul says for all of us who choose life in Jesus and for those of us who never made a decision to believe in Christ, he just says this is the way. In Romans 10, if you would confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and if you would believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. The story of Lazarus is unbelievable, but it was pointing powerfully to the powerful story of Jesus Christ. It was a precursor for what was to come. It was the seventh act that goes on in the book of John, and you know what that means? The seventh act in Scripture, seven is a complete it's that completeness, it's that fullness. And what he was saying was this, death is gonna be defeated. I'm just giving you a precursor of what I'm about to do. And I'm gonna to go to the cross and I'm gonna take away the sins of all mankind and death. Where is your sting? Where is your victory? It is no more because Jesus is victorious. So tonight, guess what? We get to celebrate. You don't seem very celebratory tonight. We get to celebrate. How great is that? I've been given life. And if I got one more day or 50 more days or 50 more years, I don't know. But death doesn't win. And it's just not going to be the end. That's pretty good news. And it says that if you come to Jesus Christ and confess that he is Lord, the same is true for you today. So in our sorrow, there is a picture of grace. And in our, in our pain, 
there is a picture of healing and hope. And in our sadness, when it seems hopeless, just like Mary and Martha, God shows up. But here, let me tell you this. Everything that we go through and everything that we do is to point people to Jesus Christ. The ultimate glory is God's priority for you and for me. Trust is in the weight. It's not in the answers. And trust is in the weight that you carry. And when it's heavy, can I just remind you, you're not alone. And you don't have to be alone. And tonight, just remember as you go, life has the final word. So let me ask you this question. Will life have the final word even when you face death? And I pray because of Jesus Christ tonight, you can just have a resounding yes. Would you stand with me? And here's how we're going to end this service. We're going to end celebrating because we've been given new life. We're going to begin celebrating because it's going to be like Lazarus, that he was raised from the dead because we have been raised to new life in Jesus Christ. And if you have your communion cups, I would love for you to take them. And I would love for Scott to bring me up one because I didn't grab one. And we're going to take communion and then we're going to sing a song together. And it's a song that I picked because I thought it was appropriate for us to celebrate. So tonight is a celebration of God's goodness and his grace in the midst of everything that we walk through. And I don't know if you know this, but when you open up the juice first, it's really hard to turn it over and get the cracker. They always give me different ones every time. I'm like, the other ones weren't like that. The cracker was on top. So there you go. I got it. I didn't spill. Thank you. But tonight we celebrate the goodness of Jesus. Can you imagine what it was like on that moment when Lazarus came out of that grave? Can you imagine what it's like when you look back and Jesus Christ saved you? If you just remember back a couple weeks ago when we baptized a bunch of people and and you just looked and you saw their face when they came out of the water, can you remember the day when you said yes to Jesus Christ and you said yes to life and not death anymore? What a day. That's what we celebrate tonight. And when Jesus gathered with those men, he he, he looked around the table and he said, hey, I'm going to do something tonight you won't fully understand or grasp, but I want you to understand this, that when you take of this bread, I did it for you. This was my body that was broken. Do this in remembrance of me. And when he took the juice, the wine on that night, he said, this is the blood that I'm going to shed for all of your sins. Past, present, future. Because of my grace, you have been forgiven. You are clean, you are whole, you are a child of the Almighty God. Every time you drink of this cup, do so in remembrance of me. So Father, um, we remember, we celebrate, we give you thanks. Thanks for this body of believers. Tonight as we stand, thank you that we believe in the resurrected Jesus Christ. And I pray right now in this moment, if there is someone here who has never made a decision for Jesus in this moment, that they would simply just confess that, God, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I accept him as my savior and I ask him to forgive me of my sin. And God, that you would come into their heart 
Your word tells us that you forgive and it is not about us, but all about you, that it is your grace that is sufficient. So when we confess, Father, we are made new. So I thank you for that. And for all of us who participated in communion, it's what we said tonight, is that we now are alive and that life has the final word. So Jesus, we celebrate you, we sing to you, we worship you and we give thanks for who you are. And we thank you for life that is eternal. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Everybody said, amen, amen. Let's sing together.